0: A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview.
1: Welcome to the Curiosityness podcast, where we do stuff and talk about stuff that you're probably curious about. I'm Travis DeRose, the host, and this is episode 62, and welcome aboard. I'm talking to Charles Hobbs. He's the author of a book called Hidden History of Transportation in Los Angeles, and it's a really interesting story about the history of transportation in L.A. I mean, because we're so reliant. I live in Long Beach here, uh, in in L.A. County at least, and we're super reliant on cars and the freeways and it sucks. They're so it's so congested and crazy Um, so it was fun to go through with Charles and talk about the story. Uh, We start back in the early 1900s of, of the rail cars and like a bicycle uh, cycleway that was going on, different ideas that people had for transportation, and then we kind of talk about how we got so reliant on cars now, and maybe what the future will bring for transportation in LA. So buckle in; it's going to be a fun one. Here is episode sixty-two with Charles Hobbs. All right, what's up, Charles? Thanks for being on. Okay, well, it's
0: a good day here in Fontana, and I'm. Uh... Ready to answer any questions you may have.
1: Right on. Yeah, man, so so you're in Fontana. I live in Fontana. I work in various places. Oh, uh, okay. So, I mean, how did all, how did your interest in, you know, Los Angeles transportation begin?
0: Well, I think it was mostly just growing up here. When our, our family drove around, we took the freeways. We went to different cities. We kind of learned where... Uh, Everything was located on the map. I remember I was about 10 years old. I was commuting with my dad to a school. He worked in Pasadena. I went to school in Pasadena. They dropped me off and we take the uh, 110 freeway. It was just the 11 back then every morning and take it back every evening. And you know, eventually I got interested in the freeway system. The uh, transit came later when I was in college. I had to take a bus from Laverne where I was living back then till over to Irvine about four times a week. So, uh, I got familiar, familiar with the bus system that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I think it's something anybody who's lived in LA has like, it's, it's a huge frustration just getting around the city because it's so big. First of all, there's so much stuff to get around to and it's just, it's rough, man. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Cool. I mean, can we just dive into the story? Like, I mean, where does this? How far back does transportation begin?
0: Well, imagine you want to get technical about it, <laughs> since uh, primates started walking on two legs, maybe even four legs before that. Yeah. But uh, you know, in the early early days, you know, people just walked or carried what they had. If you lived near the water, you had access. You could. Make a primitive boat or a barge and float things on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, let's see. Uh, animals, maybe you're riding or dragging or hauling things behind animals, the wheel, you know, that was, that was from antiquity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mechanical transportation, probably from the mid 1800s, with a practical steam engine, we could make railway locomotives. It worked much better if you had wooden and then later uh, metal steel tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Bicycles were probably around that same time. Uh, the practical bicycle we know now came around the early 1880s. Okay. And there was big bicycle craze in the, across the United States and Europe. Yeah. And found this uh, much, much more practical than relying on an animal. And that was about the time uh, electric uh, motors came and, and a lot of the horse drawn and mule drawn streetcars became electrified much cleaner.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Practical automobiles, probably from the early 1900s, 1910s, with a Model T. And then we've kind of moved more or less from there at that point.
1: Yeah. So, but I mean, as far as you know, Los Angeles is concerned. When I mean, when did when did L.A. really become a city, and you know, we started needing transportation around it? Okay,
0: well, L.A. First, the local rail line in L.A. There were rail lines that came from other parts of the country, but the first local was Mm -hmm. the line from L.A. to Long Beach. This was the first Pacific electric line. This was around 1900, 1900 the early 1900s. Uh-huh. And of course, other rail systems, companies, a bunch of independent companies had rail lines all over the city. Probably around 1901, uh, Henry Huntington uh, acquired most of these. He kept the uh, What we call the interurban lines, the ones that go out toward other parts of the county and in Orange County and San Bernardino, all of that. Right. The other lines that were more local to Los Angeles became part of uh, what was called the Los Angeles Railroad, Los Angeles Railway. And that was a local service for LA. So those lasted more or less until about the mid 50s, mid 60s, and then they'd start to be replaced by buses. The last of the Interurban urban lines was the Long Beach line that went away in nineteen sixty one, and the last the streetcars went away in nineteen sixty three. That was a line that ran along Pico from uh, West LA through downtown LA and into East LA, and that went away in about nineteen sixty three.
1: Okay, so these first you know rail lines that are being built in the early nineteen hundreds. Are they, like, what do, what do they look like? What do the cars on them look like?
0: They, they were, you know, you've ever seen pictures of the old-fashioned trolleys and streetcars. You looked at old pictures of L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly wood, although they moved over to steel. They were almost like a railway passenger cars. You had to climb up into them on a staircase. They weren't if you're more familiar with the blue line, the red line, you notice it's a low floor or an even floor from the platform into the uh, into the rail car. You just walk right across at these. You had to walk up from the street. It stopped in the middle of the street, so you have to get out in the middle of the street to board it. And you climb up the stairs and you go inside, pay your fare, take a seat.
1: Okay. So similar to kind of what I live in Long Beach now, so, you know, kind of similar to the, the Metro in L.A. now. More or less. Okay.
0: They, they, they were, these were more like, uh, almost like mainline rail cars rather than uh, more, the more modern light rail that we have now. Okay.
1: And so was that, like, what was the other, were there really automobiles around at that time, or was that really the main form of transportation that, you know, around the city then?
0: Well, uh, before the automobiles, people had horse carriages and whatnot. Uh-huh what they called dredge, which was just horse-drawn trucking. So they had automobile fields probably about the mid nineteen hundred nineteen oh five nineteen ten 1905, 1910, when practical ones started coming out. Mm-hmm. People started driving them, and you had the traffic problems downtown. Other than that, you know, <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was traffic congestion back then, too.
1: Yeah. Man, man, oh man, even with horse drawn carriages and stuff. Okay, so initially, early 1900s, is really the, the, how extensive was this rail line system? Was there a lot of this stuff or was it not, not much of it?
0: Well, there was quite a bit. If you visualize the map of LA in your mind, we uh-huh. uh, you had lines going all the way from everything was centered on downtown LA back then. Okay. We so had, had lines going all the way down to Long Beach, San Pedro, San Pedro. There was a line that went out to Torrance, Gardena, and Redondo Beach, lines going through Hollywood and into Santa Monica. There was a division that went up to the San Fernando Valley. You have to remember, there wasn't much population, especially in some of these suburbs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you had lines of Pasadena, lines of the San Gabriel Valley, and a line that ran out to San Bernardino and Riverside.
1: Okay. Okay, so back then, really, your option was to take this rail line or to walk or to get a horse, horse-drawn carriage or something like that.
0: Right. You didn't really have, you uh, no freeways back then. You, had, you know, most of the roads weren't even paved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, to take a horse all the way from San Bernardino, L.A., would be kind of a long, uncomfortable trip.
1: Yeah. So, and then, do bicycles fit into there at this time?
0: For the most part, they had the uh, bicycles, that was mostly uh, 1880s, 1890s thing. Okay. I mean, people could ride ride around in the city on the paved streets between cities is a little rough. That's why uh, when I wrote in the book about Horace Dobbins, he wanted to build a wooden bike path all the way between Pasadena and and Los Angeles and charged tolls for it. Yeah. Needless to say, he only got up to about South Pasadena and ran out of money. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, there, there's an interest in bicycling here, especially because our weather is so nice usually. Yeah. But, you know, eventually the uh, streetcars, the interurban rail and the automobile took over practical transportation and the bicycle became more of a recreational thing.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and especially because I I would assume, like you said, you were limited to kind of just paved streets with a bicycle. They didn't really have right. great off-road capabilities.
0: Yeah, did didn't work that well off-road.
1: <laughs> it was tough, huh? Yeah. Um, okay, and then can you t- so tell me about this? Because the the um you know bicycle tollway there that was called the California Cycleway, was that right? Cal-
0: cycleway. Yes.
1: Okay. So tell me tell me the story behind that.
0: Okay, this was a idea of Horace Dobbins, who lived in Pasadena. He had just gotten some money from an inheritance, and he was—he was a big dreamer. He had had some uh, ideas he wanted to implement. One of them was the uh, bike path. He saw people struggling, riding their bike, struggling in the muddy streets, and said, "Hey, well, I can do better than this." Mm-hmm. So he built the bike path, or at least as much as he could build with the financing he had. And I know people did use it, but he came in around nineteen hundred, 1900, nineteen oh one, and that was pretty much the end of the bicycle craze as we call it. Okay. It, people were kinda good. Get... street cars to Pacific Electric at that point and then the automobile was just starting to make its inroads then.
1: I see. So okay. So they were kinda of on their way out. So what did the what did it look like? Did you say it was a kind of a wooden boardwalk path kind of thing?
0: Basically. You know, you, you think about the, the Santa Monica Pier or something like that. Just just imagine something like that in the middle of the city. Yeah. You know, just wooden structure, and you put your bike on there. I think you want to charge the toll, so there's a little toll booth, 10 cents a ride. and You right. go down the sideway and back.
1: <laughs> That's pretty fun. I mean, it's like a bike path today, but wh- why did he... Do you know why he chose to do like a wooden path rather than like paving it or something?
0: He wanted it elevated oh. up from the ground. Okay. To uh, what was easy easy to get. P- paving, a lot of paving outside of the city still wasn't all that common.
1: I see. And so, why did he want to have it elevated?
0: Probably to avoid cross traffic. Oh, too. wow. Um, for other cars or trains or whatnot.
1: Yeah, man, that thing must because he he did build a section of it, so that must have looked pretty cool to have this elevated wooden path for just bicyclists.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, I have some pictures pictures of it in the book, so yeah, basically, yeah, know what it looked like and what it probably would have looked like had it been completed.
1: Right. No, that's awesome. That thing that sounds fun. Like, I would love to have one of those around today. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, okay, so let's, let's kind of go through this timeline here. So we're kind of in the early 1900s, and now cars are starting to come in. And, and you know, obviously cars and the freeways are huge in L.A. now. It, was, yeah. it, was it like that initially? Was it everyone was just like, boom, these cars are, are kind of the best option for getting around the city?
0: No, as people, people started to get cars, oh, obviously people over more. Uh, let's see. Uh, probably around the 1915s, what some uh, enterprising auto drivers would do was go to the streetcar stops, uh, ask somebody if they wanted a ride, some people would get on, the driver would charge them on nickel. Nickel, slang term for nickel was called jitney, and that's what the whole operation was called at that time. So, people driving their own cars, collecting fares, competing with the streetcars. It kind of hurt the streetcars. They couldn't expand, and they started laying people off. So, since they were rather politically connected, they were able to uh, get some laws passed to kind of curtail a lot of the jitney activity.
1: Wow! So that's like Uber drivers, but just without the app. Pretty much. Man, just, you know, private people with their own car just stopping at a streetcar station and picking people up. That's right. (laughs) Man, that's crazy. I love that. And then it it, it really did hurt the rail lines and, and everything. Man, okay. So was that... I mean, was that kind of the impotence of where... Cars started to get really huge in LA, and why the public transportation started to decline.
0: Right, because uh, once people started experiencing driving their own car not being tied to the streetcar schedule, that was a fraction of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And you also have to remember that after 1901, 1902, the rail system wasn't expanding that much anymore. So it's pretty fixed. So it, it, it. so, new development is going to be based on where they can run roads for cars and occasionally buses as well. Okay. Yeah. Around 1915, the bus business started. I see. Private business as we know
1: it. And then, so most of these, were these all kind of, you know, like with the cycleway and uh, the railways and stuff, were they mostly private businesses then?
0: Just about all private. Okay. What would the. Uh, they got franchises from the city and from the uh, railroad commission to uh, operate whatever service they were permitted to operate, but all the money they had to uh, make you know pay employees and maintain the service and uh, make a profit came out of the their box came out of ticket sales uh-huh they they weren't subsidized like you know metro is they
1: interesting. Yeah, because isn't the majority of of most transit systems, they're they're publicly funded now, aren't they?
0: Oh, yes. You know, if you get 50% out of the fare box, they're doing pretty good. Most of it's much less, 20%, 30% out of the fare box. Wow. Other taxes and fees paid for the
1: rest of it. Okay. Interesting. So do you know, when did that transition start to happen of being privately owned businesses to becoming kind of public stuff?
0: Probably in the 50s, 60s, you have to understand, after World War II, that war pumped a lot of money into our economy, in the United States economy. Uh You know, people were uh, able to afford houses in the suburbs. They could afford cars. They could afford gadgets like TVs and refrigerators. So there was a lot lot of money floating around. Yeah. And uh, people, people switched these lifestyles that weren't really couldn't really be supported by public transit. If you're out in a low density suburb that there are gonna be few people riding your bus or your train and filling the fare box. Mm-hmm. So they start to lose money. And also the labor costs went up, fuel costs went up, because costs up in general. So eventually probably around the mid sixties or so, the uh, government said, you know, we need some form of public transportation. We need some level of it, and it's not going to be paid by the fare box, so we're going to have to direct some tax money toward it to keep a level of service running for those people who need it.
1: Right, I see. Make it sort of a public service where we we have it. but Okay.
0: It It used to be a sort of a regulated monopoly or regulated utility, like our phone and electric and gas is now. Uh Uh-huh. But uh that wasn't sustainable probably yeah. after going in into the sixties,
1: seventies. Right. Wow, okay, interesting. And then okay, so in nineteen fifteen, is that when you say kind of buses start to show up?
0: Yes, uh the rail companies even use buses to expand service where there was no rail or probably as a rail replacement at some various points in time. We had the uh, Los Angeles, I mentioned the Los Angeles, Pacific Electric, and I mentioned the Los Angeles Motor Coach, a Los Angeles Railway Company. Uh-huh. They jointly owned a company called Los Angeles Motor Coach, uh-huh. which ran on streets that didn't have rail. Uh, there was no rail on Wilshire Boulevard, for example, so that was always the bus that had these real nice double-deckers that went up and down Wilshire Boulevard back uh-huh. in the 20s. There was uh, no rail on they uh, some of the north-south streets, like Fairfax or Western, so they had a, buses that went... There was one bus that went up from Hollywood all the way down to Gardena on Western Boulevard.
2: Wow.
0: So, uh, so I sort of built up the uh, transportation grid there, where, where the rail doesn't run, didn't run. The buses kind of
1: took that place. They were kind of filling in the gaps. Makes sense. And, right. So, and then were there, you know, because there were the guys, you know, using their cars, for like nickel fares or whatever he said, but was for, there was there really like a taxi service back then? They had taxis. Okay.
0: You no, know, there were taxis all the way back to the horse drawn days. They were, they were more expensive. Mm hmm. Um, either the jitneys or the buses or the rail belt. Okay,
1: man, I, I just find that hilarious. How these guys, the, the jitneys, how they just came in and and just started, you know. Just getting in there and charging people a nickel and undercutting and and doing that—that's—it yeah, it just seems so parallel with Uber and Lyft today, right? Yeah.
0: Now some of those jitney operators—they—they're uh, companies. They formed companies like down in San Pedro and Long Beach and uh, Santa Monica, particularly. And uh, over the years, those developed or evolved to the local bus companies: Long Beach Transit, Santa Monica Blue Bus, that we have today.
1: Oh, okay. So, uh, um okay, so can you tell me about some of the cause there there were some kind of interesting ideas that uh, LA had for public transportation like uh like there was a monorail, correct?
0: There was a proposal to build a monorail. Yeah. This was uh back in the sixties. So we're looking at monorail from LA to Long Beach and uh Al and a couple of other places. And I, the writer Ray Bradbury, was a big supporter of that. Oh, you can read some of his biography, and you can find out what his uh, feelings were about that. There was a German company, Alweg, I believe, A L W E G, that mm-hmm. built the up at Disneyland, and there was some talk about expanding those to a city-wide service, but it didn't really get the support it needed, the uh, transit agency was more into building a subway system. And that, that took some years to build as well until funding and total acceptance. But it, they didn't, that project didn't even start to break ground to about the early 80s, 81 or so. And even then, it took a long, long time to build it and decide where it's gonna be routed. There was a concern about methane gas under Wilshire and that kept that portion of the line from not being built until rather recently. You know, they're doing it along the uh, Wilshire near the museums and all, that's where the gas was and there was a big fear that it might blow up or something. So they tried to reroute it up through Hollywood that's where the current red line goes now Mm -hmm. and then the other line which is now called purple line is just stubbed at Wilshire and Western and it remained that way until the the prohibition that Congressman Waxman put on tunneling or drilling in the uh, near Wilshire Fairfax he lifted that and I probably figured out be as much a hazard as he might have thought, thought it was. Okay. And then he, so we were able to start work on that. And it's supposed to be completed probably about mid 2020s or so. Okay. Hopefully yeah. before the Olympics in uh, 2028.
1: Oh, I didn't realize the Olympics were coming in 2028. Oh, yes, they are. Wow. Okay. Back to LA, huh? Back to LA. It'll be, be the third
0: Olympics. There's three countries that three cities that only had the Olympics three times. It's London, Paris, and LS. Oh, no, That's cool. I have it in 2024.
1: Okay. Um, and then wasn't there, I don't know if this ever happened, but there was a proposal at least to have kind of a helicopter or taxi service, right?
0: Well, we did actually have a helicopter service. That was the Los Angeles Airways that started in the late fifties, right after the war. And continued into the 70s. Now, the first few years of that, they were they were subsidized by the feds, federal government. And when it lost that subsidy, the airlines subsidized it for a while. But it was kind of it looked kind of neat. You could get on a helicopter at various subs, suburbs: Pomona, Burbank. Uh, there was one over in San Bernardino and Van Nuys. One there was a heliport near Disneyland. You could afford that it will take you over to the airport within probably less than about 30 minutes. Yeah. But uh, we got expensive to run, and there were some concerns. There were a couple of crashes, and that scared people away. Mm. So about, probably about, about 1970, it was pretty much done. And there were occasional attempts to revive that service, and it never proved economical to keep it going. So,
1: yeah, man, that's awesome though. Just because so, <laughs> that's what we all dream about, man. Sitting in, in traffic in LA just to ha- be able to have a, a flying car or a helicopter to just fly over all this traffic. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Someone just did it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, hit me with the, the proposal to turn the, like the LA riverbed into a freeway.
0: Richard Katz, assemblyman, uh-huh. he, uh, uh, let us see, that, that that river was, after a lot of really nasty floods in the 30s, they paved, almost like a roadway, if mm-hmm. you've ever seen it. Okay. And in fact, occasionally people have used it for vehicular use, mostly movie shoes, the bus company. Um, Metro was using it for bus driver training for a while, and occasionally kids would sneak in there and do drag races and whatnot. Uh, but he uh, came up with this idea of using it as a freeway from L.A. to uh, the port. that to carry trucks, and from uh, L.A. up to the valley, it used it as a reversible carpool lane, inbound in the morning, outbound in the evening. Uh-huh. And uh, about that time, this was in the, what, the late 80s, 87, 88, 89. Oh, uh, the LA River, Friends of the LA River developed, came along. And they said, we need to restore this river to its natural state. And there was a big uh, controversy because restoring it to its natural state means that the flooding could come back. Right. So after a lot of back and forth, you know, between the Friends of the LA River and the Army Corps engineers who paved it in the first place, they came up with some sort of compromise, which they're kind of working through now.
2: Hmm, okay.
0: But not a not a freeway in the middle of the river. And yep. it turned out probably more impractical than it looked. Yeah. Of, had a bad rain, you had to get people out of there real quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause it's like it's it's still you know, it's like an active river. Water flows through there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it takes. <laughs> I not want to have cars driving it, it's it's just like crazy. Um, okay, and then is there, you know, I've always heard this story about, you know, the GM kind of streetcar conspiracy. Could you talk to that at all?
0: Yeah, I'll try. One well, one thing is it's not particularly accurate because uh, what happened was you're talking about a company called National City Lines, which was had some control over it. They owned some transit systems, and they crossed the country. And they had some control over the LA system, probably around the fifties. When uh, Henry, probably after Henry Huntington passed, it, the LA railway was bought by LA, what we call Los Angeles Transit Lines. Mm -hmm. Now a lot of the streetcar lines were dropped and replaced with buses during that period that uh, LATL owned it. However. Some of them were replaced with electric trolley buses. These were buses that were electrified. they pick up wire, current from a wire up, up overhead wire, just like the streetcars did. Right. Secondly, uh, some of them were, some of the lines were broken with freeway construction, so it wasn't so much LATL was conspiring to get rid of them. It was things that the government was doing, creating one-way streets downtown to facilitate cars, car travel, uh, there was a couple other things, uh, breaking the connection, going down to uh, Englewood and Hawthorne for a freeway, when the 110 freeway was going through uh, downtown, they broke that streetcar connection and never, never replaced it. Remember, we we're still in a private business, and we we're looking for economical ways to keep the service running. So, in that case, replacing with buses made more sense. Okay. At least that by the time they sold, or was the company was acquired by the public agency LAMTA, that was about 1958. There were still at least four streetcar lines running. There was one on Pico. One on Vermont. There was one on Washington Boulevard, and there's another one at had to look it up. So there are at least four lines running during the time of public ownership of the company. Okay. So those those last four lines in the Long Beach line went away under public ownership, not not under L A T L.
1: Okay. I see.
0: Right. So. And the,
1: well, and then, like, the idea behind that whole thing was that um, GM kind yeah. of bought them to to make people use cars or something like that, right? That's a bit of a jump. Okay. They
0: were accused of buying them to sell buses. I see. And uh, yeah, they bought buses from GM, but they bought buses from other companies as well. Okay. Remember the choice? those were. Not not g m products they never made an electric trolley bus so right there's no difference yeah okay. so they they, they did get in trouble for antitrust oh because they they thought they were gonna sell g m buses everywhere, and they got there's some other antitrust issues with g m as well
2: mm-hmm.
0: but uh the, reason, the real reason these things kind of what neglected was was most of the people, again, post-war, people were moving to suburbs, people were building suburbs that weren't very light, light, low in density, single-family homes that didn't really have the density to fill the buses and make them profitable. So, that's really the real reason a lot of these things, a lot of the trolley Three cars kind of went away.
1: Mm-hmm. I see.
0: All
1: right. Man, okay. So where are we at, like today in LA? I mean, we have the we have the MetroLink. We have a few lines. Like, how do you, like, most people I feel don't like. I've hardly ever used it. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's. Like, what? What are your thoughts about it? I guess at where we are today with all this stuff.
0: Well. uh... I you know there's an article in the LA Times a couple of two days ago that bus ridership is dropping and you see that across the country. It's not, not peculiar to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, and, and people are giving all sorts of reasons. There's the people are blaming Uber and Lyft. Uh, people are saying people are moving away, out of Los Angeles, uh, poor people. And, uh, Immigrants, it's easier for them to get cars and licenses now. So it's it's a lot of complex things going on. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Metro is continuing to build the uh, subway. They're continuing to build various light rails. Those will get used. Yeah. Someone will use those. I'm not as concerned about those. You know, there's, uh, there's also issues with security on the system. You know, have a lot of have a growing homeless population, and they're camping out in the stations and on the trains, and it's scaring other people away. So that, that's another issue too. Mm-hmm. Do I do I have a pat answer for this right now? Probably not. But uh yeah, one one thing that Metro and the other bus operators are gonna need to realize is. You know the days of just relying on what we used to call the transit dependent to fill the buses are kind of going away. You know we we had the change back in the sixties from public op- private operation to public operation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and people moving out the suburbs and not using public transport that much as much as they once did. So you know this is somewhat of a repeat of that.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: You know I guess they'd have to find a way to. Adapt to that, you know, it may be uh, more buses, faster bus lanes, uh, signal signaling systems that give buses priority. You're, you're just trying to see that on Wilshire Boulevard, and there's a temporary bus lane on Flower Street in downtown LA. They're using that while the Blue Line is being uh, worked on. And, you know, so just to make it transit. And buses in particular attractive that people normally would not take them is probably the way they're going to have to go.
1: Okay. I see. Just kind of, uh, yeah, make make buses and everything more attractive, more, make people want to use it, make it more efficient, faster, and everything like that.
0: It's not going to ever be 100% more attractive than driving your own car. Yeah. you know, for some trips, you know, the bus system was cleaner and more efficient and you know, it might attract a few more people who ordinarily would not ride
1: them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So we're still we're still gonna be relying on cars. What do you think about um like Elon Musk's plan with the tunnels and everything like that?
0: Well if you can get it get it to work. Uh, you know, about a month or so ago I did a demo. Basically, car yeah. in his tunnel, and you know, sort of, sort of unimpressive. You know, the issue is once you get involved in shoving cars down tunnels, it's never going to be as efficient as putting a train down there with, that can carry more people per vehicle. That's true. So, uh, and also with some of the technology he's talking about, you're going to need it's basically a sort of a ferry ferry systems, so you're going to need a staging area to load it uh-huh. with gates or whatever he's talking about, zip them down the tunnel and then uh, another area to unload the tunnel and send people on their way. So that's something uh-huh. else he has to think about.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm curious to see how it plays out and what's going to happen. So what do you, what, what do you kind of predict as the future of, of transportation in LA and say, uh, like 25 years from now, what's it going to look like?
0: 25 years from no, it really isn't a long time. Let's see, it's 2020. So 2025, we'll have more of the rail network built. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have downtown, hopefully we'll have the downtown connector that connects the Long Beach Light Rail with the Pasadena Light Rail. That'll go out further out west, further out east to uh, Claremont. We'll have probably a couple more rail lines built. Purple Line to Westwood should be complete around that time. There's talk about upgrading the Orange Line busway in the Valley to Rail, and there'll be probably a couple other bus projects. There's a bus project in the Valley, and another one that goes up to Pasadena. So, uh, and perhaps the line, proposed line that goes down to Santa Ana, a light rail line that goes at least partway to Orange County at that point. Okay. That's basically what they're talking about, and... Perhaps with the buses, they can get some of the treatments they talked about: the bus lanes, signals, Mm -hmm. and other things. In the mostly in the central city to speed up the buses and make them a little more attractive.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this stuff. This is on most of the stuff is a, a pretty long timeline for this stuff to be built and completed before it's really in operation.
0: Right. So yeah, we're talking about oh, probably another. 10-15 10-15 years or so before we see a lot of this
1: yeah do you think the you know if we if and when I guess we start to see more autonomous cars coming in and maybe they can drive you know closer and more efficient on the freeways that that will have an impact and more people will kind of go that route
0: uh, possibly you know they keep promising autonomous cars and you know you've seen some promising experiments being done but there's still a lot of questions about those yeah so I think that's that's at least 10, if not 15 years out. Yeah. When they become that widespread that they could make the travel on the freeway more efficient.
1: hmm I get you. Man, cool, Charles. Well, this is fun. I, I love this story. I, you know, it, it's an interesting kind of history and progression. I think something anybody who's ever sat in L.A. traffic inevitably thinks about and is curious about, that there's got to be something better. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story.
0: All right. Well. It's been a good talk with you, and I hope a lot of people get to look at this and come up with their own ideas.
1: Yeah, heck yeah. And then we have your your book, The Hidden History of Transportation in Los Angeles. Um, That's on Amazon, right? Yes. Cool. So I'll have a link for that, people to check it out. Um, Anywhere else we should send people to check out your stuff?
0: Oh, you can check my blog, morethanredcars.com. Okay. And. it's been a while, but I am working on some more content for that. But you can, people can read what's there, some nice histories of various bus and other, other uh, transportation systems and a few other things as well.
1: Cool. Right on. We'll have links to the book and to your, to your website where people can check all that stuff out and learn some more. But, man, appreciate it, Charles. Have a good weekend, all right? All right. You too, Now. All right. Thanks. So there you have it. Thanks for sticking around and listening to the episode. Hope you found all that info about uh, the transportation history in L.A. Uh, interesting. I sure did. I thought it was a really cool story and enjoyed all that stuff. So thanks to Charles for, for coming on and everything like that. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and your family. Super appreciate that. Just give them the old word of mouth in person if you want to, or you can do it digitally online. Uh, I think you can share these episodes in most podcast apps, which uh, is very helpful. Super appreciate that. Um, really does help with... Uh Spreading the show and getting the word out, and uh, be sure to tag me if you do it on social media. I'm at Curiosityness Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook as well. Got an email address, Travis? That's me at curiosityness.com. Send me an email. Whoa, send me an email. Give me your uh, feedback and uh, thoughts and suggestions and all that stuff visit curiositynestcom slash free sticker for a free sticker. Uh, you can get one for free, including free shipping and handling. Um, I'll ship it and I'll handle it for you. Um, that's it. Thanks for sticking around and have a good fun rest of the day or go to sleep now. Good night.